I did ayahuasca in the jungles of Peru. This experience, bar none, was the most impactful experience that I have had in my life to date. Disclaimer before we continue with this episode, this is going to require you, if you are listening to this right now, to have an extremely open mind. If you do not have an open mind, it would be best that you don't even listen to this. This is me simply sharing my experience of what I had and hopes that there are a few people here and there that can listen to this and that will be impacted by what occurred within the jungles of Peru. What is up everybody? Welcome back and good morning. This is Conscious Rebel with Talon Barney and today is the time I am going to be speaking about today my wonderful time in Peru, but more importantly than that, the ultimate crescendo of the whole entire experience, which is that I did ayahuasca in the jungles of Peru. And this experience, bar none, was the most impactful experience that I have had in my life to date. And in debating whether or not I should actually record this podcast and go into details to this of this experience, I, I went back and forth quite a bit. And the reason being is because if you've had any sort of experience in the plant medicine world or with ayahuasca perhaps or with anything else, it is such a sacred and such a complex experience that it really takes time to not only integrate, but to fully understand what really happened and how to even put this into words. It is such an out-of-this-world experience in so many ways. It's a multidimensional experience that trying to take what I experienced in this ceremony and in Peru and condense it into a podcast is a challenge um, nonetheless, but a challenge that I've decided to take on because I believe that this podcast episode will be by far the most important podcast episode I have ever recorded to date. This is going to be the most vulnerable and raw podcast that I've recorded. And this, I believe, if you followed along with the whole journey of Conscious Rebel, this will be the one podcast that you will be able to see through all the layers and be able to see who I truly am at the core, and that will be brought out through this experience. Disclaimer before we continue with this episode, this is going to require you, if you are listening to this right now, to have an extremely open mind. If you do not have an open mind, it would be best that you don't even listen to this because for the average person who, especially a person who has not um, researched or doesn't know anything about plant medicine, this is going to be very far out there. So my disclaimer for you is that as you listen to this, you have an extremely open mind and whatever resonates with you, let it stick and if it doesn't resonate, no worries. This is me simply sharing my experience of what I had in hopes 
that there are a few people here and there that can listen to this and that will be impacted by what occurred within the jungles of Peru. Back in 2017, I made a vow. I was going through my dark night of the soul. I was currently going through my divorce. I was in a dark place that I had never been in in my life. And this really initiated a phase in my life, looking back, that I could not have anticipated and I didn't know what was ahead of me. And I was in such a dark place, so depressed. And for me, feeling anything and seeing any light at the end of the tunnel in 2017 was an impossibility. And in fact, it wasn't just impossible in that moment, but I felt like it was impossible for eternity. Like that was the end of the road for me. And I didn't really see another way out. And during that time in 2017, I remember making a vow to myself and I made a vow to myself and I told myself that if ever, and it was a big if because I really didn't believe it, but if ever I was able to get to the point to where I could be happy again, to where I could see the light, to where I could smile, I could laugh, I could simply just feel anything in life again, I made a vow that I would share that with the world, that I would share how I got to that point because deep down inside of me, I knew that there was no way I was the only one that was experiencing this. And perhaps if I could make it through this, that maybe, just maybe, some of the things that I experienced and that I did and that I learned along the way may help someone else who is going through their dark night of the soul. Here we are seven years later. This podcast that I'm about to share is about an experience that is the pinnacle of that seven-year journey. A seven-year journey that has completely transformed me from the inside out and that is really hard to put into words. So I will attempt this and let us dive in to my experience of doing ayahuasca in the jungles of Peru. I'm going to start all the way from the beginning of my experience in Peru and what even led up to this. I decided to schedule a trip to Peru to go to Machu Picchu. It was something that I've always had on the bucket list, but I've never really been called to it. And I was speaking with a buddy and we were planning out different trips that we were wanting to go to and we were throwing out different ideas and it was kind of just, you know, play on words and and just messing around with a few different, you know, places that we could go to and he mentioned Peru and the moment he mentioned Peru, I knew it was time to go to Peru. It was, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but there's certain places in my life, certain countries that I've traveled to, even lived in, that I I can say with confidence it was a calling. I was being pulled to go to these places. This was the case for Peru. When Peru was then put on the table, I, I knew it was time. I had to go to Peru. I didn't know why. It just seemed like a place that I needed to be there. It, I felt like there was experiences that I was going to have and people I was going to meet that was going to change the trajectory of my life as has been done several times. So we began planning this trip to Peru. Fast forward, um, maybe a week or so later, maybe two weeks, I was in meditation. 
I'm a big advocate for meditation, as you know, if you listen to any of my podcasts. And for me, my meditations are, are very interactive. It's a, it's a place for me to receive a lot of what people would call, you know, inspiration or revelation or downloads. Uh, name it what you want. All the lingo means essentially the same thing. And I was sitting in this meditation and I had this thought that came to me that was very close to me almost hearing a voice and it said, you will be doing ayahuasca when you go to Peru. Now, ayahuasca is something that I have thought about for years, but I also know that it's something that you have to be called to. I know it's something that you don't play around with, that you don't mess with. It is truly something that you have to be called to, and people will have different perceptions about this. Now, let me give you a little background if you're not sure of what ayahuasca is. Ayahuasca is a plant medicine that can be found deep in the Amazon jungle of where it originates from, and it's the combination of taking these plants and this vine to be able to create this concoction into this liquid form. And within the vine, you have this chemical called dimethyltryptamine, which is DMT, that creates these hallucinogenic effects. And this has been used for thousands and thousands of years by shamans and medicine men and women of different indigenous tribes throughout the jungles, from the Shipibo tribes all the way to the Incan people, which is what I participated in was the, the Incan lineage. And ayahuasca has been known without any explanation of how it's done to heal people, to heal people from full-on addictions, to help people let go of grief, to let go of loss. It was used back in the day for people who were really struggling. The shamans would use ayahuasca to be able to get to the core spiritual root of what was affecting this person so that they can be able to step into their full power and, and be fully healed and happy again. And so ayahuasca is an extremely powerful medicine that is completely natural, that is found in the jungles pulled straight from Mother Earth. So I, I knew about ayahuasca. I thought about it for years. It was something in the back of my mind that I always knew I would eventually do. Um, just because I'm, I'm, you know, I fall hard for experiences that really push you to your limits. I, I crave that. I crave experiences that push you so far out of your comfort zone that you're forced to step into a new version of yourself. I, I'm an extremist by nature and, and I really believe in the progress of us as humanity, as human beings. And the best way to do that is to throw yourself into the deep end. And I knew ayahuasca would be an experience that would provide such a container for me to do that. However, like I said, I knew that it was something that I needed to be called towards. So fast forward all the way to, to leaving on my flight to Peru. My buddy that I had planned the trip with, and this is really ironic, as we were getting closer and closer, I knew that this needed to be a solo trip. I knew that I needed to go out there by myself to be able to have this experience, get away from the world for a couple weeks and be able to have this solo trip. Well, interestingly enough, as my buddy flew from Idaho to Salt Lake, it turns out that his passport was expiring in three months, which is a big no-no. You have to have at least six months space um, before you leave out of the country on your passport. Otherwise, you cannot go. He was blocked at the Salt Lake airport. 
was not able to go on the trip, and therefore I find myself alone in Peru. I fly into Peru, I end up in Lima, Peru, spend a day there, and then I fly into Cusco. Uh, once you get into Cusco, they really, you know, admonish you to acclimate to the elevation. Um, I am originally from Utah, and Utah is known to have a pretty high elevation. It's about, if I remember correctly, around 4,000 feet elevation, maybe 4,500. Well, you get to Cusco, and you're already around 8,000, so you're doubling the elevation. So I get into Cusco to be able to acclimate for a couple days, and I have an experience um, they ha- that I had planned before going out there, and it was to do a trek called the Salcate Trek. In National Geographic, they they label it as one of the top 25 most difficult treks in the world. And the reason being is because you're through such a vast variety of landscape. You you begin from Cusco, going up through the jungle. Um, it, it's kind of humid. It's warm. There, there's wild horses. It's beautiful landscapes. Where I had hired a private tour guide. His name was MJ, an incredible Peruvian. And through that trip, through the five days, that's how long this this trek was on the Salcate Trail, I was able to talk with him about uh, the the Peruvian kind of culture and what they believed in. And I was able to be in Mother Nature. You have no service. You're out in the jungle for five days. And I won't go deep into the trek itself because I really want to focus on um, the, the ultimate experience here. But the trek was a vital part of the ayahuasca ceremony because little did I know that by me going on this trek and spending five days out in Mother Nature with no phone and being there with just the Incan people would be extremely and incredibly grounding for me and for my body and happened to be the perfect preparation for ayahuasca, which I would do in about six to seven days from that point, which, keep in mind, I wasn't aware of yet, and it was the most grounding experience ever. From moving through the mountains all the way going up to the Salcante Pass, which you get up, and the peak of that is about 18,000 feet. It is extremely high, and so your your whole body is just being pushed to the limit. You're you're having to just focus with your mind. You're having to breathe correctly because if not, you get elevation sickness so quickly and you're you're down for the count. And so you really have to get into your body. You have to focus on your breath. You have to be able to control yourself. And in that sense, it's it's why it's such a challenging hike. And you go from these such high altitudes, 18,000 feet, where winds are gusting, it's snowing, there's snow everywhere. It's you, you feel like you're on freaking Everest in Peru. It's crazy. You would never expect it. And then you begin the descent down on the backside of the Salcante Pass, and four hours later, you're then in the Amazon jungle and you're hiking along the Amazon River. Like the experience was incredible. I would highly recommend it. Um, if anyone's going out to Peru, you can you can message me and I can get you the number for um, MJ, who was my guide, the most incredible man ever. That was a Salcante trek that took about five days, extremely powerful and beautiful experience. Well, keep in mind again, I know deep down somehow I'm going to be doing ayahuasca in in Peru. I don't know how it's going to come about though. And I know that it's not something I can initiate. It's not something I can plan. 
It's just something I need to respond to when the time is right. So I'm really going out on a limb here, and it's, it's just an act of faith here, of really believing that if it's meant for me, it will come along. We get to the fifth day of the trek, and we're finishing out the last day, and we stop at one of these plants. And along the way, MJ would explain different you know plants throughout Peru, indigenous to the people, what they could eat, what they use for healing medicines, and we stop at this one plant, and he begins to explain um, the, the history of this plant and how this plant is a, basically a sister to ayahuasca. Back in the day, the Incas would use this um, for a type of healing modality. And he says, has anyone here heard of ayahuasca? few people raised their hand that were there with me, and uh, he's like, let me, let me share with you my experience with ayahuasca and the power of it. And he turns to me, and for the next seven minutes, he shares his ayahuasca experience. He does not look at anyone else. And I'm looking around the room like, okay, this is kind of weird. He's like really awkwardly staring deeply into my soul, and unless I'm just like making this up, and I'm kind of looking at other people, but he's just looking at me as he's explaining his ayahuasca experience. He wraps up. We continue the descent down the trail. I'm kind of like, whatever, that was interesting, but let's go. I'm in the back of the group, kind of just in, in in my own little world, just enjoying the trek. And he comes to the back of the group, MJ, and he puts his arm around me and he looks me dead in the eye and he says, Talon, you should do ayahuasca. And boom, in that moment, I got the chills and I knew it was time. That was the opportunity for me to respond to. And I look at him and I smile and I say, it's funny you say that because I think that's why I came to Peru. We began chatting a little bit more and he, he really emphasizes and he says to me, now Talon, this is not something you do lightly. This You have to really be ready for this. There's certain things that you have to take into account, such as a diet that you have to follow. You have to be really clean with your diet and eliminate certain foods. You have to be able to avoid alcohol, not be drinking alcohol for this. You can't be on any sort of medication. There's a whole list of things that you have to do to prepare for ayahuasca. Ironically, I had been following this diet for about the past year or so of being fully in tune with my body and in the healthiest place I've ever been, which allowed me to be able to respond to this opportunity because I was ready for it, even though I didn't know exactly when or how it would be happening. I explained this to him and he said, okay, so are you sure you're ready? Do you want to do this? I said, yes, I do. He said, okay, I will contact the master shaman of Peru, who I know, and I will set this up for you. Fast forward eight hours later, we get back into Cusco. We finish the five-day trek. And an hour later, there's an assistant shaman that shows up at my apartment that I'm staying in in Cusco. He's there to prep me for the experience, which is going to happen in 48 hours. And he goes through the diet, things I need to do. I need to be fasting, avoid large amounts of water. And he goes through this whole entire prep and protocol, which again, I was already following. He leaves and I now have 48 hours till I begin this ayahuasca experience. So I have 48 hours of nothing planned and it was really two days of just prepping and really taking this in of like, wow, this is really about to happen. Like this is, I've been thinking about this for years and somehow 
I'm sitting here in Cusco, Peru. I don't even really know how I got here or why I'm here. I just met with a shaman and I'm about to step into ayahuasca. The stars that aligned for me to be able to create that moment is unexplainable. And it proved once again to me that there is a higher power and there is something at work going on behind the scenes if we are able to tune into it. And if if we are able to trust ourselves enough to know that there is something bigger out there for us. Two days later, I get picked up in a taxi and we begin the journey to where the ceremony will take place. As we're driving, one of the shamans that is with me in the car, fortunately, he speaks English. He had been an old tour guide, so he was able to to speak English pretty well, enough to be able to communicate with me and translate for me. We drive deeper and deeper into the jungles of Peru, and we eventually pull up to this place that is in the middle of nowhere. If you've heard or researched ayahuasca before, you've probably listened to people talk about it where they go to some nice resort in Costa Rica like Solterra and there's like a nice maloca where they do the ayahuasca ceremony and there's whole teams there and doctors and there's massage therapists and they get to relax and integrate and it's like a nice resort style and they, they do the ayahuasca. It was nothing like that. We pull up to this hut this shack in the middle of nowhere, this thing could not have been more than 200 square feet, 300 square feet, like six people could fit in it, tiny in the middle of nowhere and run down, beat up, dirt, floor, like so raw. And the moment we pulled up to that, I thought to myself, oh my gosh, I am in it. Like this is this is about to happen and this is about to get real. Like right when I saw that hut, I knew that I was in the rawest place that I could ever be, the most original place to do ayahuasca. And I knew it was about to get real. We get out of the car, we go into the hut, I get dropped off and there I get to meet my master shaman. Um, Incredible man, the most powerful strongest man I've ever met in my life. He doesn't speak any English. We get into the hut and there's four people there. Um, in the ceremony total, there was, let's see, three, four, there was, there was five people total. This was very small. It was, it was basically a private ceremony. Um, typically ayahuasca ceremonies are done with, you know, 10, 11, 12 people in the ceremony. It was me the master shaman, two assistant shamans, and then a Peruvian guy that they pulled in who needed some healing. So three shamans and me and another Peruvian gentleman. Well, the ceremony starts at 7.30 p.m. at night and it finished at 9.30 a.m. the next morning. A long ceremony, an exhausting ceremony, a ceremony that would completely not only change who I am, but change the way I look at the world and change the way I look at life. 
We begin the ceremony at 7.30. We lay these mats down. It's cold. That was one thing I was not expecting. It was cold in Cusco. You know, it's, it's I mean, not freezing, but it's probably in the low 40s. Um, so it's pretty frigid. So you're bundled up. They put like mats on, on the floor in this shack and they give you some of these like blankets to put over yourself. And you're, you're packed like sardines in this room. It's tiny. So you're laying down on your backs the Peruvian gentleman is to my left, my head's touching the wall, and then my feet, there's maybe there's maybe three to four feet of space before my feet hit the next wall, so it's very small. Peruvian gentle next, gentleman next to me, my, my arm is touching his arm, we're laying down, you're right next to each other, packed tight. An assistant shaman to my right, the master shaman to his right, and then another assistant shaman in front of us. And we begin the ceremony at 7.30. It begins with them giving you a bag um, of what are called coca leaves. And coca leaves are natural. They're organic to Peru. And they act as a stimulant to help prepare your gut to take in the medicine of ayahuasca um, to make it easier on your bodily functions. Now, I... The coca leaves also help with elevation sickness. So when you go on the Salcante trek, you'll chew these leaves along the way because it can help to basically eliminate and dissipate a lot of the effects that you would possibly get from elevation sickness. So you begin chewing. They give you like this fat bag of coca leaves, like big bag. And you bundle some up. You maybe take like seven to ten leaves. You kind of roll them up and you chew them. You chew them and then you, you sit them kind of in up in the roof of your mouth, you know, in, in your gums, and you let your saliva kind of break down the chemicals within the coca leaves to be able to activate that stimulant. So you do this for about 15 to 20 minutes, and then you re-up, you recharge on it. So you kind of spit the leaves out, throw them away, get another bundle, put it in your mouth. You do this for two hours. So by the end, my jaw is like tired because I've been chewing coca leaves for two hours and they taste like leaves. They, they don't have taste. They literally, it's as if you were to pull a leaf off the tree and chew it. That's, that's how it tastes. So you're doing this for two hours. And in the bag, they give you these um, tobacco cigarettes. I'm, I'm hesitant to call it that um, because there's obviously a real distorted perception about tobacco and tobacco is unhealthy. I don't smoke tobacco, so I was really hesitant when they pulled out these tobacco cigarettes, but they begin to explain to me that, you know, the, the reason why we do this is because the smoke actually helps to push away any negative energy and any spirits that are in the room, and they help to act almost as like a barrier, and that smoke can help to be able to dissipate some of that negativity within the room. And when they smoke these tobacco cigarettes, they don't actually smoke them. It's it's against their Incan philosophy. They believe it is unhealthy. So what they do is actually they take the smoke into their mouth. They do not inhale it in. They don't breathe it in. They take it into their mouth, kind of whirl it around in their mouth, and then they'll blow it out into the air. But as they blow it out, they blow the smoke out in a very specific breath pattern. And it kind of sounds like... And they'll do that with the smoke and they'll, they'll masterfully move the smoke in certain patterns. It's, it's incredible. And so you use these whenever there's heavy negativity, 
you will light one up and take the smoke and move the smoke around to push this energy around. So you have those in your bag too, just in case. And the shamans will use those throughout the night. So the room also gets pretty heavy with with that smoke um, along with the coca leaves. So for two hours, we're chewing these coca leaves and the shamans are are using these um, little tobacco fillers to push the smoke through. And through this two hours, they're speaking the whole time. I don't understand any of it. They're speaking Quechua is what they speak in these ceremonies. I obviously don't speak Quechua. Fortunately, like I said, one of the shamans speaks English so he can translate for me. And I'm able to ask any questions that I want as we prepare for the medicine. So they begin teaching me about what they call the Inca worldview. The way that they do ayahuasca, the way that they do everything, the way that they speak, the language that they speak, Quechua, what's really interesting is that the language of Quechua has no negative words in it. There, there's no words. So when I enter into the room, they explain to me that there's there's no word for like American or for race or white because I am not separate from them. There's only a word for brother. So they call me brother. I am their brother when I enter that room. There's no words in the Quechua language that can explain separation and that can have any form of negativity. So when they speak Quechua, it's only positive words. It's only a positive vibration. Everything that they do is an intent is intentional and is pulled from their Incan ancestors. And they begin to explain to me the Inca worldview, which they believe is the worldview that is going to change the world and is what we have become so disconnected from. They begin to explain that all of us, all of humanity, we come from the four elements of the earth. That's how everyone was created and that's where we come from. Therefore, if we're all part of the four elements, we're all the same. You are not separate from me. Black, white, small, big, straight, gay, it does not matter. We are all the same. There are no labels within the Incan philosophy because they believe that each day that we wake up and that we're given another day to live, we are borrowing this body from Mother Earth. We are borrowing this body because the body is literally made up of the four elements, earth, air, water, and fire. And they begin to explain to me how we borrow our bodies from Mother Earth. And they said, think about it. When you pass away and when you finally leave this life and you die, you give everything back because you have borrowed this body. When you begin to die, your body gets really, really cold. It begins to get super cold and the heat and the warmth leads, leaves your body. That is the fire that is going back to Mother Earth. The water retention begins to go away in your body. You start to get pruned, pruned up. If you've ever seen someone that passes away, the skin gets really pruny because all water actually leaves the body. You now give the water back to Mother Earth. As the body gets cold, the body then begins to get dry, and then you take your last breath. As you take your last breath, you give that breath back to Mother Earth, and breath is the air. And then your body over time disintegrates into the earth to become one with the elements again, earth, earth, air, water, and fire. So every day that we wake up, we are borrowing our bodies from mother earth. And because we all do that, we are all the same. 
There is no separation. It does not matter your level of status, your level of affluence, how you look, where you live. At the end of the day, you will die and you will give all four of those elements back to Mother Earth. And so it is imperative and it is extremely important that we see others as we see ourselves and we begin to understand that because we are all the four elements, we're all the same. The Incan philosophy is extremely big on your conscious thoughts, of guarding your thoughts, because they believe that when you when you think the thoughts, they lead to words, to you speaking. The words lead to action, the action leads to habits, and the habits create your personality. And so before you can even pick up certain habits, good or bad, before you can even take action, before you can even speak and say words to people, negative or positive, you have to think. Thinking is the beginning of creation. And in the thinking philosophy, they do not believe that thoughts are descriptive. Thoughts are not there to just observe and explain how we see the world, but thoughts are creative. They're meant to create worlds. So we're not here to see the world as it is and adapt to the world, but we're here to see the world as we want it to be and to create it how we want it to be through the power of thought. So for the first two hours, we're talking about all these things and they're explaining to me the cosmology of the world, of where we come from, how the earth was created, how we all came to be and how just how it says in the law of correlation, as above, so below, that everything that is happening within us is simply a mere reflection of everything that is happening without us or without of us. Even when we are born or when people come together to, to um, have intercourse and create children, they believe this is such a sacred act, but it mirrors Mother Earth. That when the sun comes out in the father sky, they call it, and the sun penetrates the earth, mother earth, the father penetrates the mother, which then creates seeds in the soil. Those seeds then blossom and those seeds grow into a flower or to a tree and they create fruit. This is the procreation process. Just as human beings procreate and the father penetrates the mother, and it creates the semen, which goes to the egg, which creates the baby, and explodes into a whole nother universe of a human being who has different cells and atoms within them. And it is a continuous process of ebb and flow with no beginning and no end. And everything is connected to the four elements of the earth, earth, air, water, and fire, with father sky looking over us and mother earth there to support us. It was a beautiful two hours of them explaining everything they believed in, the cosmology, the importance of who we are, of where we came from, and the reason why this is all so critical and so important and why they began the ceremony with this is because the philosophy that you believe of the world, what you see the world, what you believe about the world is how you will act. If you believe you live in a hostile, separated world, you will act out that way. But if you believe you live in a benevolent world where we are all the same, we are all connected, you will act with love because anything you do to others, you are doing to yourself. And that's why this philosophy is so critical because they believe we are simply borrowing our bodies, they treat their bodies better. They don't smoke the tobacco. They're healthy with what they do. They avoid alcohol. They avoid certain things that you have to do to prepare for ayahuasca because 
They're stewards of this body. It's not their body to do what they want with. They're giving it back to the elements. So they they pray and they thank Mother Earth with gratitude every day that they get to wake up and take another breath, which is the error, because they're borrowing that from Mother Earth. And they know just as well as I will die one day, they will die as well. So it is a beautiful philosophy that connects us all. And at the end of the day, their ultimate goal is what they call transcendence, to be able to expand the body, mind, and spirit. That is their their definition of transcendence. And these three parts of the philosophy are critical, the body, mind, and spirit. The body meaning eating healthy and moving, being stewards in our bodies and surroundings, and being aware of the elements. The mind is gaining knowledge, gaining knowledge about the cosmology of how everything works, of who we are, and where we come from. That's why they started out the ceremony with that philosophy. And then the spirit, which is being conscious of the unconscious, being conscious of our thoughts, and working to maintain more and more this awakening process and becoming more conscious of the mind so that we can act from a place of love. So in a nutshell, and there was a significant, you know, volume of cosmology and philosophy that we went to, we went through, but in a nutshell, in those two hours, that's what they were able to explain to me in the Quechua language. And it was such a beautiful precursor to taking the medicine. As we wrapped up this two hour preparation phase, it then became, or came time to take the medicine and Throughout this whole process, even when I saw the the hut, I mean, it scared the shit out of me for a second because I realized I think I'm about to get my ass kicked, but I was very calm. I knew I was meant to be there. I knew that it was the perfect timing. I knew that everything had aligned and I felt extremely safe. And so we finished the two hours and it was time to take the medicine. So... They do some prayers. They sing what's called an ikaros. And an ikaros is a type of song that they sing the shamans together. And I cannot put into words the sound of this ikaros. It's, they sing in such perfect harmony, in such precision of volumes of their language, the way they use their mouth, the notes that they hit, that it creates a frequency, a vibration that literally moves energy in your body. So they use these ikaros as like a, a positive weapon. They use it to be able to move energy and, and shift things. And if people get too dark of a space, they can pull them out through this ikaros. So they, they begin the ceremony with one of these songs, and then they, they say some prayers over the ayahuasca, and they begin to pour the cups. And before they pass it around, they ask for your intention. And my intention going into ayahuasca, even though it wasn't planned, I knew I, I had an intention in my heart that I knew if it happened, which I knew it would, I knew what my intention would be. And that is that for the past little while, ever started ever since I've started to go through a lot of these different shifts in my life. My ambitions have changed. My desires have changed. The way I look at the world has changed. And so my path years ago was so clear cut. I knew what I wanted to do. But since I've transformed, those things don't speak to me anymore. And so I wanted to get more clarity and direction on what I'm really going through. And really at the core of it, my intention was show me who I am. 
I want to really see who I am and why I'm here on earth. Like really show it to me in the rawest form. And as I share that intention with them, I share with the shamans that, you know, when I go to look into this kind of new future, sometimes there's this block there. And I'm just, for some reason, I'm not able to see past that block. And I want to be able to see past it. And the shaman kind of smirks and he looks at me and says, okay. And he says, well, Talon, nothing outside of you can block you. So if you're blocked, you're blocking yourself. And that hit me deep um, because then I realized why I was there in the ceremony that there were still deeper parts of me, even with all the work I had been doing over these past seven years, there was like one little thing that was hanging on that was so deep within me that was blocking me from fully stepping into my power here and from fully doing what I what I want to be doing and what I'm meant to be doing here. So I, I really took that in and, and shifted my intention to then not only show me who I am, but help me to remove anything that is preventing me from seeing who I truly am. Now that I have my refined intention of what I'm really there for, uh, they pass me the cup of ayahuasca. The cup was a lot bigger than I thought it would be. I, <laughs> I thought it would be like a... I don't know, like the size of a shot glass maybe, but it's like a gauntlet. It's it's a pretty, I don't know how to explain, I don't know dimensions or volumes of cups, but it's definitely bigger than your hand, that's for sure. You got to hold this thing with two hands, and even holding this with, with two hands, uh, my hands barely touch each other. So it's a, it's a pretty big size cup, and it's probably about four inches deep. So they pour a lot of ayahuasca in this. And the reason they do it is because this is a, a one night ceremony. So you take this one big dose and that enters you in into the to the ceremony. So you grab the cup, you focus in, you really drop into your heart, you say a prayer, do whatever you need to do, you set your intentions, and then you drink the ayahuasca. And they tell you, do not sip this, just drink it, chug it down. As soon as I put the ayahuasca to my lips, it burns. And as it goes down my throat, it's it's hot. It like burns my throat and it tastes like vomit. It's it, the taste was horrendous. It was it was so disturbing the taste that it shocked me at how bad it was. So it's like this hot vomit going down your throat. And you're just chugging it and you're you're doing everything you can to focus, to not vomit as this goes down. Extremely uncomfortable. So right when you take it, you know you're like, oh, I'm I, I'm in this. Like there there's no going back now. So I drink this ayahuasca. Now, something that you need to know that happens within these ceremonies. This is why I said you need to have an open mind if you're listening to this. If you're still with me at this point, this is where you need to put on your cap of open-mindedness because this is where it starts to get really multidimensional. When you do plant medicine, especially when you do ayahuasca, you are not just hallucinating. You're not taking a drug. You are fully entering through your spirit body into different dimensions and you're entering into these different dimensions where energy is extremely palpable, where time doesn't exist. 
And so the shamans take the medicine with you. They drink it as well so that they can enter into this with you to guide you through these realms. That is the whole purpose of the shamans. They're there to hold space, to support you through this, yes, but they're actually helping you to navigate through your mind and through your body into these different realms that you enter into. And so they will oftentimes purge different energies that you are feeling, different darkness that comes up, different entities that enter in. They will full on suck that out of you and then throw up, vomit that negative energy out of their bodies. It's it's the most wild experience I've ever witnessed in my life. And for them as shamans to be there, to full on face the demons within other people, like we're talking dark, dark places, to enter into that with people and to face all of that and take that pain upon them and, and purge that out, it takes a level of strength that I've never witnessed in my life. It was it was beyond anything I've ever seen before. True spiritual warriors, true spiritual sentinels of these different worlds. So we drink the ayahuasca and pretty immediately, I would say within the first five to 10 minutes, the shaman that's laying down to my right jumps up and, and runs to the bucket that's in front of us and just begins vomiting, begins purging already, right, right out the gates. And energetically, I can feel that he's starting to purge the energy with that's within the Peruvian gentleman to the left of me. Now, I don't know this till the end of the ceremony, but the gentleman that was in the room is a very heavy alcoholic, has been an alcoholic for 15 plus years to the point where he's drinking from the moment he wakes up to the moment he goes to sleep. But he's a teacher at a university. So his brother had begged these shamans to take him in to try and help him to heal, to, to, to rid this negativity that was within him to help him overcome this addiction. So as the shaman is purging, I can feel he's pulling from this gentleman next to me. The Peruvian man to my left then begins speaking. He begins speaking in Spanish in different tones of voices. And I instantly know that it is different entities or spirits or energies that are within him, that are actually talking, that have full control over him. And he begins moving and he begins thrashing about. Keep in mind, I'm half an inch next to him. I'm, I'm right there. So I'm in between this man on my left who is already has entered hell and the shaman on my right who is trying to purge that hell out of him. And I'm smack dab sandwiched between these two, just like, holy shit, it's been 10 minutes. It's been 10 minutes. And I'm in the eye of the storm here. So I have to immediately go into a deep meditative state and focus with all my power to stay calm and to just breathe because I can feel everything. I can feel everything that's within the guy next to me. I can feel everything that's being purged and it's it's strong, it's it's heavy. And so I'm like telling just just breathe, just focus like you've been preparing for this. You've been meditating like so you have to, it's like Jedi work with the mind and you have to focus all your thoughts to not go into fear, to not go into these energies and block yourself off so it doesn't enter into you. 
So the guy gets so strong to my left that he stands up. He, he kind of wobbles and stands up. He's still speaking in different voices. He starts punching the wall and thrashing around at the wall. The shaman has to get up and kind of hold him there. And he's yelling and you, uh, you, can, just, you can just feel the pain that he is going through. You can feel these things that are latched onto him, that the ayahuasca is trying to work out of him, and he will not let go. It is a battle. And unfortunately, this man doesn't ever break through. All the way till about 10 o'clock the next morning as I'm leaving, he's borderline unconscious. He, he is not able to actually push through that barrier and let these things go to the point where they have, they consume him and it was it uh, I don't know how to explain it. it it was a lot of emotions it was a lot of sadness though of seeing the different actions in this man's life that led up to this point to where I, I didn't see it as bad or good there was no label on it it was just that he has to face it so it's it's not that it's bad or good. There's there's no judgment. If if you struggle with alcohol, if you struggle with different things that are within your life, which everyone has their demons, there's no judgment. But the sadness for me came over the fact that one of the pivotal truths I learned in ayahuasca is that the real spiritual work at the end of the day, like what we all have to do and what the real spiritual battle is about, is about facing the truth. And it comes down to, do you have the courage to know the truth? And do you have the courage to face everything that you've ever done? Do you have the courage to face all the demons that are within you? Anything that bad that has happened in your life, any negativity, even if it wasn't your fault, if it's within you, any lies, any dishonesty, any deceit, any harm you've done to any person in your life, you have to eventually face off with. I understood that very well in ayahuasca. And I was witnessing this man face off with a lot of the demons inside of him that unfortunately he was not able to battle through that time around. And hopefully in the future, eventually he will be able to fully heal from that. But this was the first 10 minutes. So 45 minutes passes. It's chaos in the room and I'm lying there and I, I feel nothing. Medicine hasn't even kicked in. I'm sitting there wide awake just like twiddling my thumbs. I mean, not really. I'm like in deep focus state trying not to get pulled into the abyss of hell. But I'm I'm, I'm wide awake. No, I feel nothing. Nothing has kicked in. I'm a little baffled. It's been 45 minutes, almost 50 minutes. I kind of sit up and I look around and the shaman that speaks English says, Talon, you know, are, are you okay? Is everything all right? And I said, well, I mean, is it normal that I don't feel anything? Like I'm wide awake. And he says, lay back down, just focus. Lay back down and just focus. I said, all right. So I lay back down and I sit there and I continue to focus. And then slowly I, I, I start to feel my body getting a little heavy. And I start to feel, I can definitely feel the medicine starting to kick in. One thing they tell you before it begins is that they say for the most part, your first time, you won't see a lot of visions. Because most people do ayahuasca multiple nights, typically three to four nights. And the first night is typically the ayahuasca purging the body. The second night is the ayahuasca purging the mind and the spirit. 
And then the third or fourth night is basically the transcendence, the integration of all of that and being able to reach enlightenment, pure love, pure bliss in that experience. So they tell you beforehand, don't really have those expectations of having any visions. Well, sure enough, this medicine kicks in. I begin to have visions right, right out the gate. And I see this creature and it's like that big tarantula from Lord of the Rings. I can't remember the name, but this is like scary, big, uh, hairy creature, spider-like thing with like these tentacles that has this like dark goo around it. And it starts booking it towards me and it starts running towards me. And I can feel this fear trying to rise up within me as I see this beast about to like consume me. And then all of a sudden I stop and I, I become very aware and I'm aware that I'm witnessing a vision. I'm aware, I, I somehow pull myself out of the vision consciously. I pull myself out of it and recognize I'm just, it's a vision and I'm here for a very specific intention. So I literally put my hand out to this creature and I say, stop. And the creature stops. It's like these tentacles and it's dark and evil and it stops. And I said, thank you for coming here. I thank it. I said, thank you for teaching me a lesson, but I'm not here to give into fear. That's not why I came. So thank you for this opportunity to overcome my fears, but I didn't come here for you. I came here to speak to mother, referencing mother ayahuasca. Now, I don't know where that phrase came from. I've never said that, but I very specifically said, I came here to speak to mother. And I was referencing my intention from the beginning of I am here to be shown who I am and what is in the way of fully being who I am. And the creature literally turns and walks away and it leaves. I thought, wow, imagine that. I'm in full control of my reality. I begin walking more through this vision, through this maze and another creature comes out, starts booking at Mach 5 towards me, this terrifying dark thing. And I put my hand out again. I say, stop. And it stops. I say, thank you for coming here to teach me a lesson. Thank you for the opportunity, the choice to give into fear or not. But I'm not going to. I didn't come here for you. This isn't the experience that I came here for. I came here to speak to mother. So you can be on your way now because my experience here is not with you. And it walked away. And this continued on for almost two hours, maybe an hour and a half, but hour and a half to two hours. This continued on of just seeing these vile, disgusting, like horrifying, fearful creatures or things or, or entities like come at me. And me being conscious enough and aware enough to realize that I am the creator of my reality. And I didn't come here for you. So thank you. But I came here for a very specific intention. Well, as this continues on and I kind of move through all of this, I, I'm starting to actually get a little frustrated. I, I can feel some frustration coming up inside of me. And I'm continuing further through this maze and it's like these, it's like I'm being tested, you know, and it, I don't put all this together while I'm in it. So, you know, this is a lot I have integrated, but I'm being tested. It's like 
I'm being tested to see if I'm strong enough and to see if I'm pure enough to actually speak with Mother Ayahuasca and to have this experience in these these things that these answers that I am seeking. It's like I have to be judged and purified and tested to see if I am ready for it. So I'm moving through all these different tests that are being thrown at me, but I'm starting to get a, a little frustrated. And and finally, as I get more frustrated, um, I, I start to kind of say, you know, this is not what I came here for. Like I came here for a very specific purpose. I flew across the world. I'm in the jungles in this freaking hut in the middle of nowhere with these people I don't know in this realm I don't know in ayahuasca. I have done every fucking thing I can possibly think of to get myself here. I have taken the leap of faith into the unknown into pure discomfort, and I am here. And I am not leaving until I leave with what I came for, which was not to speak to these creatures. It was not just to be tested. I came here to speak with Mother, to seek certain answers. And right as I say that, I get this very specific voice that comes to me, and it says, if you want to speak to Mother, take a second cup. And I thought, what? (laughs) And it repeated, if you want to speak to mother, take a second cup. I thought, hell no, like that's not happening because this room is already pure chaos. The cup of ayahuasca is huge. It tastes like vomit. You're only supposed to take one cup. And I know that if I take another cup, that's like, it's going to send me over the edge. And I hear it a third time. If you want to speak to mother, take a second cup. I thought, wow, okay, well, I didn't come this far to only come this far. So I kind of sit, I relax. I allow my body to get more energy because at this point I'm, I'm pretty exhausted. The medicine is working its way into me. The guy next to me is in deep hell still. It's, there's so much going on in the room. It's so heavy. It's, it's dark, it's hot, it, it's just like really uncomfortable. So I'm breathing, I'm like, okay, Talon, you can do this because my body is really weak. So I slowly kind of itch myself up and I, and I sit up because I'm laying down. And as soon as I sit up, the shaman looks at me and says, Talon, do you want a second cup? I don't have to say anything. He knows. I said, yes. He said, are you sure? I said, absolutely he said okay they prepare the second cup they give it to me and i chug it and it was even more horrific than the first time and this time i'm already so weak in the body and in the mind that as i drink this i can feel myself throwing up as i'm drinking it and i know this is disgusting this is a lot but like i said it's gonna be a very raw overview of my experience I'm literally throwing up as I'm trying to keep this down. So I'm having to keep down my vomit and purging as I take the second cup in because I know I have to get that second cup into my body. So I drink it all the way and I just go into a different place as I focus and just get it into my body. I can't think about anything else else that'll come up. 
it kind of settles in for about 10 minutes and I, and I lay back down. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm good. I lay back down. Boom. Right as I lay down, another vision. And it takes me back to 2017. And for those of you that don't know, that haven't followed along with my journey at all, in two, I was married and in 2017 was when I went through my divorce. And in the divorce, or in the marriage and in the engagement, um, there was infidelity. And my fiance and wife had um, had sexual interactions with, with her ex. And I'm not going to go into details of that because it's irrelevant for this, but there there was infidelity in the marriage, which en- ended up in divorce. And it quite literally broke me on, on every single level. It was just something that... I, I just I just didn't see coming and it really shattered my world and that was the dark night of my soul. That's what really began everything because I never thought I would be the person that would get married, you know, and then get divorced in all of this, you know, uh, because of, you know, unfaithfulness and other things that were in the mix and it was it it would introduce me to a world I just wasn't ready for. That was my dark night of the soul. And so Immediately as I lay down, it takes me back to 2017 and it shows me the whole entire process of of things that have happened and that that she had done. And it sat me down and I watched everything that happened again and I felt everything and I was watching it. Um, I was shown everything from a completely different perspective. I was shown from a perspective of what I would call God consciousness. I was shown from this perspective of God. I was shown from a, a higher perspective of love. And I saw all of the emotions that I felt in that moment. Um, the anger, the grief, the rage, betrayal, depression, loneliness, all of it. I felt all of it within me. And I heard this voice and it said, did she give those to you? And I thought, what? And it said, those emotions that you felt when this occurred in your marriage, did she give those to you? I, I thought, I don't, I'm confused. And it said, the rage, the grief, the depression, the betrayal, the sadness, did she take those, those emotions from what she did and did she put those inside of you? I said, well, no, she didn't. Those came up within me. And it said, so those were already there. I said, well, yes, they must have been. So then it said, if they were already within you, where did they come from? I said, I don't know. I said, earlier then, obviously, before the marriage, it said, exactly, much earlier, earlier into childhood. And it showed me that when she came into my life, she didn't do these things to me. What she did simply triggered these emotions that were already within me to surface. This anger, this this betrayal, this loneliness, this fear of not being seen, this fear of not being loved, this, this fear of abandonment, all of it was already within me. And she simply triggered it within me in order for that to come up so I could see it 
and begin my healing process. It then shifted a whole entire frame and I saw the same scenario again from a higher perspective, from a perspective of God. And I was so healed this time around. All I felt was love. I was pure love. And she did the same thing again. But this time, I didn't feel any depression. I didn't, I, I didn't feel any loneliness. I didn't feel any betrayal because I didn't have any of that within me. I was just pure love. I, I was like pure joy. And when she did what she did, all I felt was sadness for her. The same sadness that I felt for the Peruvian gentleman next to me because I understood that everything that we do to harm another person or, or maybe not even harm, just anything negative that we do within our lives, we have to eventually face off with. So I felt this sadness knowing that because of these choices that were made, she would actually eventually have to face those and that would be part of her spiritual journey. Just like you have to face yours, just like I have to face mine. Everyone has to face off with everything they've ever done to be able to purge this negativity that's within us. And so when I saw this perspective from, or saw this scene from a higher perspective, I felt no pain because I was in the state of pure love. All I felt was love. I felt love for her. I felt love for myself. I felt love for everyone else. And that everything that had happened, everything that she had done had nothing to do with me at all, whatsoever. But in fact, it was such a blessing because it was able to trigger those inside of me so that I could begin my healing journey. The voice then said again, so if those came much before, much earlier, where did they come from? And again, I said, I don't know. And it started to go back. I could feel myself going back in time, being pulled earlier and earlier and earlier. And I started to go back to childhood. And I got back to around three years old. And as I got to around this age, I, I started to feel really heavy. My body is like getting really heavy. It's getting really hot in the room. And all of a sudden, it, it's getting really difficult to breathe. I, I can't breathe very well. I'm sweating the medicine is working within me in this really weird way. I'm starting to get nauseous and it starts to feel like my organs are being like distorted and contortioned and like torn apart. And I, I start to feel like a, a lot of pain. And all of a sudden I hear this voice again and it says, are you ready to face the truth? I thought, oh my gosh, what is going on here? It kept taking me back and started getting darker and darker. And I heard this voice again and it said, are you ready to face the truth? I then am taken to this place and I see this girl in front of me and she's not human. I don't know what she was. She looked like an elf to be quite honest. I'm just basing that off of elf shows I've seen, but she, she looked like an elf and she was standing there in front of this gate and I could tell that she was gatekeeping all this stuff that was behind her through this doorway and she said hello and I said hello how who are you and she said I am the gatekeeper of memories I said the gatekeeper of memories I've never heard of that before I said who are you what do you do she said it is my job to be able to hide memories away that people are not ready to face 
It is my job to be able to file away and store certain memories that spirits are not strong enough yet to face the truth of. And when people are ready, I can then guide them to those. And she looked at me and said, so, Talon, are you ready to face the truth? And I thought, wow. At this point, it's really hot in the room. I'm sweating bullets. I And keep in mind, remember, like I said, it, it had been cold. We have these blankets on us. And I'm, I'm getting really hot. It's, it's getting really, really hard to breathe to the point where it, it feels like I'm breathing through a straw. And as I'm like breathing through the straw, I then start to have this visual that I'm starting to be buried alive and dirt's being thrown on top of me. And I tell the girl, I say, yes, I'm ready to face the truth. And she said, are you sure? Keep in mind, my intention is to get rid of anything that's preventing me from fully being who I am. My intention here in ayahuasca is to know the truth, to know the truth of all things. And so when I am confronted with the reality of that, what that actually face, feels like to face the truth, it, it's an extremely hard decision. Like every part of me wants to back out. Every part of me wants to throw in the white flag. Every part of me wants to get up, run out of that hut into the fresh air and get as far away from ayahuasca as I can. I do not at this point, I don't want to be there. It's it's the most uncomfortable feeling I've ever felt, and it's starting to get painful, like physically painful. It's starting to get spiritually painful, and I'm starting to panic. I can feel this panic coming up with inside of me. I can feel this anxiousness and this angst starting to rise, and this is where I have to go into like Jedi mode, and I'm like, Talon, breathe. You prepared for this. Just breathe, and she says again, are you ready to face the truth? And I'm breathing, not not letting this panic get inside of me. And I say, yes, I'm ready to face the truth. So she opens the door and she takes me inside. As she takes me inside, I'm then blinded. I don't see anything that's happening. I don't see any memories. I don't actually see what the truth is or what's happening around this age of three years old. But I begin to feel even heavier of that feeling of being buried alive. And dirt's being thrown on top of me, and I'm starting to actually suffocate. Physically, in the ceremony, I, I can't I can't breathe. It's getting really, really hard to breathe. And it, it starts to get extremely painful. Like, I, I don't know how to explain it, but from the inside out, it feels like my organs are being twisted. It feels like I have hot coals on my arms, and that I'm, like, being burned, and it's, I'm dying. Like it feels like I'm dying. And I, as I see this vision again of me being buried alive, I realize like I'm literally dying. I'm losing my breath. I am dying. And I, I actually think this is it. And at this point, I don't even know if it's real or if it's in the vision. I, I don't know what's happening. All I know is that I'm dying as I'm facing this truth. And it starts to get heavier and heavier and heavier. I then start to feel this heaviness within my gut. And as I feel this heaviness, I, for some reason, envision it as this black goo that's inside of me. And I know immediately that I have to get this out of me, that this is why I came. This is the truth that's within me. And I need to purge this. And this is the thing that has been in me that is preventing me 
from being fully who I am. I need to get this out of me. So I have to consciously focus on my gut. And as if, as if it's this ball of goo in me, I close my eyes and I start to breathe upwards and I start to consciously move this ball of goo up my body kind of gets to my heart, stops at the heart a little bit, and I move it further and further, and I'm trying to move it out of my body. I get it up to my throat, and it's getting closer and closer, and as soon as I get it up to my throat, I know that it's time to purge. I got to purge. So I, I shoot up from the bed, I run over to the bucket, and I just begin purging. I begin vomiting, and right as I begin vomiting, the room collapses, everything turns into this kaleidoscopic geometric patterns that are just pulsating pinks and purple colors and it's like sacred geometry all around me and I look down at my arms and my body's not even there it's just patterns in gears and mechanical pulsating movements and the, the room's not there anymore the walls are gone and everything's just pulsating and I see that there's no beginning and no end and it's just this vast sacred geometry and it ignites within me this existential dread this crisis of like I'm gone I've died like I've I literally thought I had died and I'm like in this place now of nothingness it's like no form, no shape. It's just no beginning. No, it's it's so hard to explain because it was so complex. And the pain was unlike anything I've ever experienced in my life. The you could take all the pain that I've gone through from I've broken my femur before. I've had a lot of physical pain through my divorce, through different tragedies in my take everything. And it did not even scratch the surface of the pain that I felt as I was purging. It was this mix of physical pain as I was literally dying and I could not breathe. And water is coming out of my eyes. And I'm purging and heaving and my body is like contortioning. And there's this spiritual pain of like no hope, no purpose, no nothing. Like the most existential dread I've I've ever felt in my life. And all of a sudden, as I'm going through this and as I'm literally dying and I'm, I'm struggling for error and I'm trying to get this out of me, I start to see all these people behind me and it's my ancestors. And all these ancestors show up and there's hordes of them and they're all standing behind me. But as they start to get closer and closer, I notice that within my ancestors, they have this black goo within them. And I understand immediately that there were things that had been done within my ancestors or done by my ancestors that has to be faced off with, that was negative, that was dark, and that had to be purged. And I watched as my ancestors put their hands to the chest, they took this goo out of them and they then put it inside of me. The moment they put it inside of me, the pain doubles. And at this point, I'm I'm holding on to the bucket, but I'm like slipping. I'm like on the border of passing out because the the pain is it's I I don't know how to explain it. It's it's so exquisite. It 
it was so hard to even think. So I'm, I'm slipping from the bucket, about to like lose consciousness. All of a sudden I hear this voice that comes in my ear. And it's my own voice. I recognize it clear as day. It's my own voice. And it says, I am a warrior. I am a warrior. And all of a sudden I, I breathe. I step into that and I realize this is what I came here for. I came here to rid anything negative out of me. Anything negative that is around me. Anything negative that is within my ancestry line, whatever I need to do, I will do in order to reach a world that is full of love. My ultimate vision is to live in a world where people actually truly love each other, where there's harmony, where there's kindness, where we support one another, where we don't tease each other. We're not negative. We don't cheat on each other. We don't lie to each other. I'm sick of that world. I don't want to live in that world anymore. It's not beneficial. It's not fun. And it only causes more pain. I don't want to live in a world anymore full of pain and suffering. And whatever I have to do to play my part to rid that pain and to rid suffering, I will do. And I hear the voice again of myself and it says, I am a warrior. And I knew in that very moment that that's why I came here. To be able to be a warrior of light, to be able to stand strong and to be brave in the face of darkness and to do whatever it takes to rid this world of pain and to rid this world of suffering and to rid this world of negativity so that we can fully step into who we actually are, which is loving spiritual beings. And so I continue purging. But as I purge this time, I say thank you. I throw up and I'm, I'm literally dying. But every time I throw up, I say, thank you. Thank you. Because I understand that all, everything that I'm purging is good. It's positive. I'm ridding myself of anything that's been holding me back forever. I, I throw it up and I say, thank you. And it's so interesting because as I would say, thank you, that gratitude almost acted as like a buffer for the pain. And I would, I would feel a, a slight tinge of hope every time I said, thank you. And I realized that even though I was dying, I was becoming lighter. And I finally accepted it. I finally accepted it in my mind. I said, it's okay. If I die right here, right now, thank you. Like, thank you for the life I've lived. Thank you for the opportunity to be who I am. Thank you for all the experiences I've gone through. Thank you for all the lessons that I've learned. Thank you for all the pain that I've felt. And thank you for this opportunity to be able to be in this ayahuasca ceremony, to be able to just witness people doing what they have to do to heal, to witness this guy to my left going through hell, trying to just heal himself and to be better and to be happy. Thank you for allowing me to witness this. And if I die here tonight, thank you. And as I accepted that, and I accepted that that might be my last breath, as I purged this negativity out of me and out of my ancestors, I heard another voice next to me. And it was the shaman. He was kneeling next to me. He said, Talon, just breathe. Just breathe. 
Sorry, start breathing. Just breathing deep. And that breath started to bring this new life back into me. And he said, just breathe. Just breathe. And as minutes passed, I then threw up one last time. Everything came back into view. I was in the room again. I could see the bucket. I could see the walls. I was so exhausted, so weak. Shaman kneeling next to me. But it was done. And like a dial, as you slowly turn down the volume, the pain started to turn down more and more and more. And the visions left. I was kneeling there in the bucket, fully awake, medicine completely out of me, fully conscious. And the shaman put his hand on my shoulder. And he said, good job, brother. You did it. Welcome to the brotherhood. And at that moment, I felt this wave of victory that I cannot explain that washed over me. It was like this battle that was fought that I didn't know I would be fighting, that we had just claimed a victory over. The battle was done. And I laid back down. They carried me back down. Two shamans came up and kind of, that's how weak I was. I was so exhausted. They kind of grabbed me and they laid me back down on the ground And they put the blankets back over me and they looked at me and they said, now, just focus on what you want. Feel the warmth, feel the love, and just see what you want. And at that moment, I entered into a a state of pure enlightenment. I don't know how to explain it other than that. It was pure bliss, pure love, pure light, pure everything it was it was the most the word joy doesn't even do it justice it was it was beyond that it was a state of bliss it was pure enlightenment like anything i have ever felt in my life no amount of love no amount of joy no amount of happiness no nothing can even put a mark on that state that i entered after that purging and this state of enlightenment i was in that i stayed in for the next about 4 to 5 hours and that contrast of going from literally dying and purging and being in that state of darkness to a pure state of light, that, that contrast was, it, it's unexplainable. And as I entered into this, this realm of enlightenment for about four to five hours, I sat there with what you would call Mother Ayahuasca. And she was the most gracious and loving being ever. It's it's what people would probably call, I don't know, the, the heavenly mother, Mother Earth, Mother Gaia, Mother Ayahuasca. It seems to all be the, the same energy. But I sat there in this space with with Mother for four to five hours, and I was able to ask anything I wanted. Anything I wanted to see, I could see. And I was filled with visions of my family, of certain friends. I saw their futures. I saw children that they would have. I saw different things that they would go through, how their life would pan about. I saw vivid visions of these different futures that people would go through. I saw 
certain things that I needed to experience with friends, conversations that I needed to have, relationships that I needed to mend and what exactly I needed to say and how I needed to go about it. And most of these visions for others are personal, so I'm not going to go into the details, um, but anything that I wanted to see, I was shown. Anything that I wanted to know, I was given. There was no fear, no doubt. It was impossible for it to exist in this place. It was only pure knowing. So the moment I wanted something or wanted to manifest something, it was done. So I began in that state to plant seeds for my future. And I then asked about myself when I asked, you know, my intention of really who I am. And it was made clear to me that who you are is what you just went through. It is a spiritual warrior here to help people through this awakening process. As people face off with themselves, it will get chaotic. It will get dark. And I do think that's where the world is headed, that we are headed into a season of chaos. As the world starts to shift and change, we in the world and individuals alike are literally going through a death and a rebirth. The world is dying as we know it. You yourself, your old self, your old personality is dying. And if you can make it through this death process, through what I call, what mother called the initiation, if you can make it through this initiation, you will be reborn on the other side. But in order to make it through, it's going to take quite a lot of bravery. It's going to take a lot of courage. It's going to take a lot of strength. It's going to take some tools. And like the Peruvian gentleman to the left of me, he was not able to make it through that. He was not able to break through. And as a collective, we are going through a death, a death of structures, a death of education, a death of, you know, capitalism in some forms. It, the death of a lot of things are being exposed. And exactly what I went through in this ayahuasca ceremony, I was shown that the collective will mimic that. And it will go through that on a broader level is these old things die off that don't serve us anymore, that are holding us back from being our true self so that we can truly be reborn and enter into a state of pure joy. It's what the mystics or the Bible or Christ used to teach about the millennium of having joy and peace on earth. It's, it's what we're entering into, this state of love where we actually step into our full power of who we are. But before we can be reborn, we have to die. And anything that we haven't faced off with, anything negative, any harm that we've caused others, anywhere where we are dishonest with ourselves right now or misaligned, we have to face. At some point, you could call this karma, but at some point, every individual is going to have to face the truth. And every individual will be asked this question, are you ready to face the truth? Are you ready to have the courage to face what is holding you back? We've all done things out of survival. We've all grown up and been raised in a world of survival where things have been done to us and perhaps we've done things to others. But either way, if, it's, if it concerns us and if it's within us, we have to face off with it at some point. And you can keep pushing it off. We can keep suppressing it. We can keep denying it. We can keep numbing ourselves with drugs and with alcohol and with relationships that don't serve us. 
But at some point, we're going to be forced to face the reaper and it's going to come around and we're going to have to face off with all of that in us so that we can shed that skin and step into who we were meant to actually be. This is called the initiation. And my entire experience of ayahuasca was going through that initiation of entering into this state of of pure enlightenment. And like I said, this lasted for hours and there's so much that happened within this, but I'll, I'll share one thing that I saw specifically, but for the most part, I'll keep this concise as we wrap up here. I was shown my future and I was shown specifically of things that I would be doing and things that I would be working on. And I saw a specific person that I was with, my spouse, and I saw the relationship that we had there because I had consistently and faithfully really done my personal work that I've been doing the last seven years. And I saw that she had done the same, that she was this very powerful feminine figure. And I was then given this phrase, which comes from Gene Keys, um, which is, uh, we won't go into into this episode, but Gene Keys is a very powerful process that you can use to know yourself more. And in the book Gene Keys, there's a, a, a phrase, a quote that comes from that book that was given to me in this state. And it says, when the first relationships experience dual enlightenment, we will know that the deepest wounds of all has finally, the deepest wound of all has finally been healed. The wounds symbolized by the division and fall of Adam and Eve. These sacred marriages will have an unbelievable energy field around them. In fact, they will be at the core of whole new communities. And I saw that there would be communities throughout the world that would be initiated through certain couples who are so strong in their love for one another and love for themselves that they are able to create this energy that magnetizes people towards them. And they act as a core, as the epicenter, as a pillar for entire communities that will be created throughout the world, communities that can start to connect and we can start to really heal, be more connected in the world and create more joy. And I saw myself on this land in this this property that was where I was living and my home was there, but it was quite literally a community on this land as well where people would come as a safe haven from, from the world. And on this land, there was many different tools that assisted people through this process of awakening, through this initiation. There was yoga centers. There was a a big center in the middle for plant medicine. There was um, gardens and orchards where we learned how to grow organic food and go farm to table so people could start to heal their bodies. There was instructors. There was places for women who were birthing children so that we can consciously bring children into this world without so much trauma. And it's this community that's based around supporting and loving one another and healing ourselves so that we can begin to create literally this heaven on earth. And that was one of the very specific visions I was able to see within this state of, of pure enlightenment. And, and there, there's no words to explain, explain this. Like it's, I've never felt anything like it in my life. And ever since then, I can't help but just be in a state of joy. I feel so light when I walk. It's, 
It's as if everything is zoned in, everything is focused in, and I no longer see things the way I saw things before this ayahuasca experience. But what's so interesting is that the ayahuasca was just the cherry on top. It was the pinnacle that solidified my seven-year journey. The real work was the seven years. It wasn't the ayahuasca. The ayahuasca was the initiation into this new world, into this new life of, of who I am and what I'm doing. But the work was done before that. It was the seven years of pushing through the ups and downs of life, of pushing through the tragedy, of pushing through the experiences, of pushing through the loneliness, of of pushing through the dark times. And everyone has it. I know certain people will listen to this and they'll they'll scoff because they'll think, I have everything I need, I'm strong, I, I, I'm good, but... At some point in life, everyone will be tested because we have to face off with everything that is within us. And the real question comes down to, do you have the courage to know the truth? Do you have the courage to face everything that you've ever done? Everything that you ever are, every limiting belief so that you can really rise into this state of enlightenment, to be to be happy, to be joyous, to be full of love. And this is the journey that every single human being is on. On the surface, it's careers, it's jobs, it's you know doing certain things, raising a family, paying the bills. We still have to do all that. It's practical. We live in the world, but it's just on the surface. Beneath the surface is the real spiritual reason of why we're here, which is to fully step into who you are. And to finish this off, I'll finish off with the two missions. According to the Master Shaman in the Incan philosophy, They believe that every human being has the same two missions here on earth. The first mission is to take care of yourself. It's to fully be responsible for yourself, your body, your mind, and your surroundings. To take care of yourself, to take care of your body, to take care of the people around you, to take care of the land, to be a proper steward. That's the first lesson. That's the first mission is to simply take care of yourself. And if you look at the world, it's full of people who haven't done that. It, it's a death of, of connection. We are so disconnected from who we really are because we haven't taken charge to be stewards of ourselves. That's the first mission. The second mission, once you learn to take care of yourself, is then to be able to be conscious of the unconscious and to live fully in the conscious, to become aware of anything that you were unaware of. The, the subconscious, the patterns that are running your life, that are sabotaging you, it is to become aware of anything unconscious that is hiding behind you and to pull it in front of you and become aware of it so that you can start living consciously, so that you can start making conscious choices of what you say, what you think, how you act. And from that place of being intentional and conscious, that is how we create a beautiful world. Those are the two missions that everybody has here on earth. In conclusion, and I could have gone another probably two hours into this whole ceremony of ayahuasca because there were many more things that I was able to see within this and within this pure state of love and bliss. But to really wrap it up, we are all working towards the same thing. We are all walking each other home. Everyone has their struggles. Everyone has their pain points. Everyone is fighting a battle that you know nothing about. And everything moves in seasons. So if you're in a good season, 
there will be a season where there is a low because everything is impermanent. But that creates room for possibility. And we are here to be able to step into that possibility and to create heaven on earth. Heaven is not some place you go to when you die. It is a place that we are here to consciously create on earth. We are not here to wait until death to go there. We are here to die a conscious death, to let our old selves die, to let anything that is holding us back, anything that is negative, anything that is harmful to others or to the earth, we have to let die off so that we can be reborn into a state of freedom, so that we can be reborn and truly be free and conscious and be able to be who we really are, to be brave, to be full of love. And this is not a journey for the weak. If you've listened to this podcast up to this point, you are on this journey. Otherwise, you would have shut this podcast off hours ago. If you are still listening, you are on this journey of awakening to where you are stepping more fully into who you are and your old self is dying and you probably feel it. You're going through a rebirth and everything that doesn't sh- doesn't serve you is being shed. These layers are being shed so that you can fully step into a state of freedom and love. This is going to take a lot of bravery. It's going to take a lot of courage and there will be moments that are difficult. But I promise you, just like my experience of going through my death and the pain that came through that, the other side when you break through is nothing like you can even fathom. It is a state of joy and love beyond your wildest dreams. It is more than worth everything that you have to face off with. So my friends, be brave and be courageous enough to face the truth and do whatever you need to do to step into your highest power. Thank you for tuning in and for staying in this long. I love you guys. Take care.